Hello, and welcome to The Real Folk Reviews. I'm Samuel, and I first saw Ballad of Fallen Angels about 15 years ago. And I'm Georgie, and I first saw this episode, ooh, 12 hours ago. All right, three, two, one, let's jam. So, Georgie, do you know the word defenestration? I do know the word defenestration. This is a delightful word. Lots of syllables. Makes you sound intelligent. Just means being thrown out of a window. Or throwing somebody out of a window. I'm not. Sh- I'm never sure. Are you... I guess you're... Or are the- you the defenestrator? Or the defenestratee. Yeah. Difficult to say. Uh, in more ways than one. <laughs> but yeah, it, it is a delicious word and, and entirely appropriate for this, for this episode because there, there is some dramatic falling from tall buildings. And it gives me the first excuse I've had in ages to actually use it in a way that makes sense. <laughs> Just always at the ready. You've got mm. it there. And today you, ha- you found a reason. I went on holiday to Prague once and there, there are famous historical events called the defenestrations of Prague. Oh, are there? Okay. So I was like, there's a defenestration that happened here. There's one that happened here. And the person <laughs> I was with was like, okay. <laughs> just walking along a corridor of windows, just pointing at them and all right. It wasn't. It wasn't that frequent an occurrence. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's surprising that there'd be more than one in a given city. But uh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> well, I'm I'm sure your companion uh, was grateful for your history lesson in their own way. Who wouldn't be grateful to hear me go on and on about something? Well, everyone else is going to be delighted with the rest of this podcast. <laughs> so before we get into the episode proper. You mentioned that you were getting to like Tank a little bit at the start of the last episode we recorded. Yeah. It's kind of starting to prime you. And get yes, you ready. the music. Anything more than that you'd want to say about it? About or? specifically about the opening intro? Yeah. I think, so I'm only five episodes in, you know, to, to this show, but it definitely feels much more welcome, I suppose. Like I know what I'm in for now, whereas before it, it sort of felt like a jarring contrast whenever you actually started the episode but now it yeah i'm set up for whatever may occur after this point is in no way demonstrative uh of the opening sequence necessarily oh that's interesting something i've been noticing as i've watched it is how satisfyingly the music lines up with the visuals pretty much every time a new thing happens like a you know one set of horns cuts across another or a drum beat rolls in something changes on screen like Mm -hmm. An image that's in silhouette and an image that will be a line drawing will reverse or something like that will happen. It's it's most satisfying, I think, where where it goes do 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 and you've got Spike fumbling for the controls of the swordfish and then the swordfish flies across the screen on the nice long do <laughs> Most openings go for that a bit, but Tank does it. Like if you watch it for that next time, you're like, Oh yeah, it's every time. <laughs> yeah. So it might interest you a little bit, hopefully a little bit. That's what I'm aiming for. Well, if I'm not, then I'll pretend for you, just like your friend in Prague. Thanks. So Tank was not written to be the opening of the show. It was, in fact, they only did two takes of it. It's not a technically very clean recording, but it was just like, oh, this would be the perfect thing to start off the episode. So the people who made it, were they actually... Uh, in conjunction with with the production at all or were they just the production team found this piece and decided to use it no so it's recorded by yoko kano who does all the music for cowboy bebop yoko kano and the seatbelts her band so called because they play so hard that they have to strap themselves in with seatbelts oh i see that's that's very rock or punk or or jazz 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 mostly (laughs) 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 Shinichiro Watanabe, who's the director of the show, said of Yoko Kano, She does not compose music exactly the way I tell her to. She gets inspired on her own, follows up on her own imagery, and comes to me saying, This is the song we need for Cowboy Bebop, and composes something completely on her own. There were instances where I heard these songs she created for Cowboy Bebop, took inspiration from them, and created new scenes for Cowboy Bebop, and then she would be inspired by these new scenes I'd created. 
they would give her new ideas for music and she'd come to me with even more music. Wow. So, yeah, it was absolutely a collaboration, but it was fairly improvisational. And she ended up recording three times more music than she was commissioned for for the show. Right. So, uh, was, was all of it used? No, actually. So on the soundtrack albums, there are quite a few tracks that are not used. And then there's also scenes that got written purely so they could use a piece of music that they'd found. So, yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the episode, which we'd probably better start talking about. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if we start from the top, we have what appears to be the breaking of bread between two crime bosses. We seem to be having a moment where these previous rivals are actually sitting down and having an, an agreement and one of them signs their, well, some sort of devil pact by putting their thumbprint of blood on a piece of paper, which I thought was interesting. Well, it's like you know, signing it, your soul away to the devil. It shows you mean business more than if you, like, you know, used a pink jelly pen. That's true, but there are options between those two. You know, like a no. lovely fountain pen, for example. Oh, that's useful to know, because I've always thought my only two options were blood or jelly pen. Ah, oh, well, I'm really glad to have brought these options to you at this stage in your life, Sam. Great. Is yeah, this why pens. you were giving blood yesterday? You were just signing away? Yeah, I was, I was just filling up my pens. Right. Uh, <laughs> and somebody who's about to give a lot of blood, although he doesn't know it at this point, is Mao Yenrai, who thinks he's got it all signed, says, phew, I can finally take a breather, and then in comes Vicious. Well, just before he, he knows Vicious is present, then he sees the aircraft that was carrying his new uh, colleague? What, what's a better word than colleague? Uh Partner in crime. Partner in crime. Yes, the aircraft in which the partner in crime was travelling away explodes just outside and then Vicious comes in and puts a knife to his throat. I would actually say just for this opening scene, one of the things I really noticed about it that persisted through the rest of the episode was these really lovely cinematic shots that they were using quite a lot. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, the very first shot where you've got like this um, long view of a grand room where these two men are having this meeting was really nicely done. And then when you have this aircraft exploding, there was a lovely shot from the ground looking up as everything was falling, which I thought was, yeah, you know, these kind of creative camera angles that they're doing with animated media, I thought worked really, really well. Yeah, it's Cowboy Bebop does that a lot. Now that I've seen a few episodes, it's one of the things that I'm picking up on more and I'm appreciating it more, that I'm every time I'm seeing what you would term a camera angle that's interesting, then I'm picking up on that creativity of the people who are making it which i think is really cool excellent that's what i like to hear <laughs> but yes then in walks vicious the biggest drama llama of all time oh yeah full-on emo haircut got the raven on his shoulder you know all that jazz basically dressed as death yep using a scythe entrances jobs are good and does he have a scythe yeah he slits I, I, I didn't notice scythe. it was an actual scythe yeah not only does he have a scythe he doesn't carry it in he has two goons hold it for him so that he can walk up to it and slice mouse throat with it <sighs> well i mean that guy yes as you say drama llama yeah. he really likes to create a scene yeah really yeah, well, orchestrated well, it perfectly when we get to the end of the episode, we'll have to rank his three big entrances yeah. from, <laughs> from extremely dramatic to more dramatic than there are words for. <laughs> <laughs> Just before we get the title card, you have Vicious shot so that he's facing to the right and he does that smile, which is like a scythe or a sword splitting his face. Yeah, um, yeah. That's as Mao is whispering through his uh, death rattle that he wouldn't have done this if Spike were here. Yes. Yeah. And then Vicious smiles at that. But that shot of him is kind of a mirror image of later in the episode, and we saw this shot in the first episode as well, when Spike is mm -hmm. in flashback giving his smile in yeah. the cathedral. So there's a lot of ways they're being set up as mirror images of each other. But before we get to that, we have Spike and Jet on a ship enjoying a cool, refreshing can of Pipu Cola. <laughs> which... That requires no moral explanation, I don't think. Nope, nope. The leading cola brand in the galaxy, as far as I'm concerned. This scene contains an attempt of Jet to be Jet Black Space Dad, I think. I, yes, I think this entire episode 
jet black space dad. I still have to focus so hard to say that jet black space dad is present consistently throughout the entire episode. But I wouldn't be surprised if our chosen moment for the episode will be the same, which is not for a while. But it's interesting that in this first scene, Spike basically, so Jack kind of says, you seem to want to go after this. This really doesn't seem like a good idea. What are you not telling me? And Spike says, so are you going to tell me about your arm? Yeah. Just kind of like, that's not our relationship. We don't, we're not people who tell each other things. So at this point, Spike is saying, actually, you're not Jet Black Space Dad. You're just Jet Black Space Companion. Yes, um, <laughs> that is true. And, and I think that he is battling with that throughout the episode. And, yeah. and you do see that status shift where like, Jet being annoyed at Spike in a way that is not that mature fatherly energy. No. It's much more petulant. And really, really at Faye. He's very mean to Faye in this yeah. episode. But yes, he's figuring out his role and accepting, learning to accept the category that we've given him. Yeah, but throughout this moment where they're having this conversation, the thing that they are ultimately disagreeing about is that a bounty has just been advertised for Mao Yenrai and Spike is determined to seek it out and Jet Black Space Dad says no. He does indeed. And that has absolutely no effect, as do many no's from dads. Yeah. Um... (laughs) Uh, has no effect on either Spike or Faye, as they both both decide to run off after this. Yeah, although Faye's entrance did throw me a bit. Because she's just, like, on the ship now. Yeah! <laughs> when did that happen? <laughs> it kind of happened at the end of the last episode, that she was just hanging around. And, it, yes, yeah, and it Spike did, kind but of it's sort of saying that she's now part of the team and stuff, and that kind of... Yeah, the the way she entered in such a, for want of a better word, domestic way... Like, she's always yeah. already a part of this household, or at least she's trying very hard to be, and Jet is resisting a lot, and Spike is sort of in- indifferent in this yeah. episode anyway. Not They don't actually spend much time together in this episode, because Faye decides to go off and seek it solo, and yeah. gets herself into some trouble. She does indeed. Jet storms out, and then somebody calls Faye and says, Jet, I've got something big for you, but of course it's Faye who goes to the opera. With some very cool, fun jazz playing underneath that she does. Yes. Uh, this track is called Slipper Sleaze, and it mirrors the glitz and seeming lightness of the moment. You know, there's Faye's ridiculous car parking of blowing everybody else. There's this <laughs> grand opera house, this mo- this guy at the door going, I don't know what's going on. Yes. Why did the attendant sound like a Muppet. I don't know if that's the case in the original Japanese as well as the English dubbing, but that voice actor just sounded like, oh, I'm talking like this, like he's Kermit. I think it's probably because that voice actor only did that bit and didn't didn't know what else to do. That's probably why. <laughs> Actually, that's something I've noticed a little dub v sub difference. You get a lot more of those hammy mugging, maybe this is a cartoon and this is my cartoon voice performances in the English than you do in the Japanese. And right. I think that may well come down partly to, I don't know if you remember, we talked about the English dub people all record in different rooms and the Japanese people all record in the same room. Ah, uh, yes, I had forgotten. But yes, I do. Now you've mentioned it. So the the Japanese people might kind of have a better sense of the world and how their character fits into that world. Mm. Whereas this guy literally only knows that his guy is somebody who looks at an attractive lady and his eyes fall out of his head. <laughs> uh. Yes, because once again, Faye is wearing a skimpy outfit. Yes, and, and Georgie's feminist rant for this episode is, is again regarding the pendulous breasts throughout the episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that recur many times. Just, yeah, sort of lingering shots of, you know, these gravity-defying and yet gravity-affected boobs that sway for what seems to be minutes on end. Anyway, <laughs> she looks great in that dress. Good on her. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to steer clear of uh, putting my foot <laughs> in anything here. But anyway, she, yes, she goes to the opera um, following this tip and is subsequently met with some goons. Yes. Uh, I really like the way the music changes here because you mm-hmm. kind of you go suddenly from this very jaunty, we're just having a fun little romp jazz piece to the opera playing. And as that's going on, you get all this signaling visually of, okay, things are much more serious now. Like you get the idiot at the door tossing the key to himself and then suddenly this 
larger, seri- more serious-looking man comes and takes it off him, and it's almost like the guard is being changed as to what tone is happening here. And and Faye next to Mao's box tries to kind of go, "Oh, I'm all lost," and they're just like, "No, that's not the scene you're in now." We know exactly who you are, Miss Valentine. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, yeah, you did have quite a few of those shots like around the amphitheater from behind the performer on the stage and then from the box and you had a really interesting shot which i think was the performer sort of stretching their arm up towards the ceiling but what you see in the screen is is just this arm coming from the bottom corner really really sharply in focus um, stretching up and making a, a slightly contorted hand gesture and as though to kind of grab at the ceiling, which was a oh, very... Reaching towards, because the light is focused on the ceiling, so it's like the hand is reaching up towards the yeah, light. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Yes. I mean, the episode title comes to mind. Yeah. And yeah, and you've got this performer as well singing this beautiful song, reaching up, there's beauty reaching out to beauty, and then in the middle, in the box, off to the side, this brutal, sordid scene playing out. Yes, yeah, as, as uh, Faye sits down and looks around to see the massacred body. Massacred body? I think that's, a, that's an odd word to choose. No, you can't. Well, I guess it, it is, it is it, there was a massacre there, it's just there's currently yes. only one body. Yes, can you, it's not a massacre if it's only one person. Yeah. Um, but actually, before that, there's her getting captured, and then we before she's actually led into the box and sees the body, the the body <laughs> sees the body. <laughs> it's very immature just to be laughing at body. A very different scene. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> mm. Before Faye comes in and sees the body of Mao, we we get the opera singing interrupted by a car horn and we see Annie's store. Yeah, we see two... With another reason for Georgie to get annoyed in a feminist way. Why did we have to have a close-up of the porn mag? Why? Why was that necessary? You know what it was from, from the distance shot a second later. You didn't need to see a close-up of, of the provocative lady on the front of the magazine. I'm going to make a slight case for it. I'm not saying it's necessary and it's certainly not necessary for it to be that lingering. But the whole vibe of the two scenes is you get the transition from this very high, very grand form of art to it's interrupted with a car horn and you've got two kids looking at the most sordid form of entertainment they can find. That, yeah, I, I mean, I will accept your suggestion there. So it's a nice thought. But it's, it's also kind of, it highlights the two characters were, being intru- were kind of being reintroduced to Vicious and Annie is somebody who, while Vicious is all grand and when he talks, I guess he hasn't actually spoken yet at the point we're talking, but he's always talking about kind of these grand ideas about the syndicate. Annie is much more somebody who's focused on the here and now and surviving in this much lower, more down-to-earth kind of way. Yes, and we get lingering shots of her breasts too. Yep, I guess we do. Yeah, I do. (laughs) If that bit felt to me like there was um, someone in the office who yeah. was like, why on earth are we having all these shots of this young woman's giant breasts? And they're like, all right, for equality, we'll chuck in some saggy ones for you. Will that help? <laughs> and, that's, and that's how that, like, that's in my head what happened in the office. No, there, there's, definitely, there's definitely somebody in the office going, can I just draw as many boobs as possible in this episode? <laughs> oh, one of the boys, the one with the red hat and the goggles. Mm. You know there's a main character we haven't met yet. Yes. That little boy was so that character is a that we haven't met yet is a girl, but yeah. in the original design they were going to be a boy and that is the original design for oh, okay. that that character we haven't met yet. They just oh. used in that scene. Nice. A horny little teenage boy. Yeah. Mm. I'm not sure they're even teenage. They look like 10. I don't know. In my I want them to be teenagers because of what they were looking at. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, they're they're eighteen. Uh, there we go. Um, so, what apart from not liking the portrayal of her saggy breasts, what did you think of Annie as? A I thought character? she was a great character. I I liked her presence in the scenes, and it felt like a nice change of pace to many of the other characters we've met before. She felt much more earthy. Yeah. 
yeah, and the problems that she was dealing with and the way she was dealing with them. You know, we see her drinking quite a lot through the scene. Had that slightly more kitchen sink drama feel to it. Yes, yeah, I, I see what you mean. Yeah, it, she definitely feels a lot more real than anything going on with with Vicious, really. Yeah, but there was a lot of questions about her relationship with Spike and with Mal. Yeah, uh, and we see the picture on the counter behind Annie that has Mal and uh, did it was and Spike Annie. in that picture. So there's a guy in that picture who I don't think he's Spike, but no. I think some people think he is. Right? Yeah, um, someone else. He kind of he almost looks like he could be Spike's dad. Or right. but there's a lot of feeling of history and relationship between Annie and Spike, but in terms of factual details you get very, very little. Yes. We're just tantalized with a few little things. And she really doesn't want him to call her Anastasia. No. But also I mean, in the English dubbed version, the way that Spike says Anastasia was oddly sexual. Oh. But then I get that a little bit from Spike's voice. Almost all the time, there's yes. always just this little <laughs> ooh. That that's true. He does in in both versions have quite a sexy voice. <laughs> uh, it does it does seem like he's a lot of what he says is flirting at any given time. And I think he's laying on the charm maybe a bit. You really get a sense from Annie's body language and stuff around him that she is wise to the yeah, way he charms. She's not people. having it. Absolutely no. not. Well, she's not, but at the same time, it is kind of winning her over. She starts talking more. She's signalling, oh, I'm used to this. Oh, all right then. <laughs> but I think it's more, that's not a shallow thing. It's like her anger and shock comes first, and then she kind of remembers the genuine affection. Yeah, well, and I think what I got from it as well is from that, that knowledge of him, that she knows there's no point trying to keep it back as well. Yes. Yeah, they're... that you know, if you're gonna do this, you're gonna do this. I might as well give you a bit more help. Yeah, something I generally am annoyed at in TV shows is where there's a character who exists only to tell the main character things about themselves. Mm -hmm. And on a purely functional level, in this episode, that's what Annie is. And she... does Annie come back again later? Yes. So uh, in that but... sense, she she will have more purpose, hopefully. Yes, yeah, no, I see what you mean, but um, what I was kind of getting at was it doesn't feel like that at all when you're watching it, and the episode does seem to care about her as well, like when, yes. when Spike asks about what happened to Mal, it's her emotion we get to carry us back to the opera house as her hand yeah, closes on the Spike, glass. Yeah, and Spike's character gives her the space to show that, mm. exhibit those feelings, and yeah, give us that information that, yes, it is exposition to a certain extent, but it is also storytelling in a fulfilling way yeah exactly couldn't have put it better and won't try so now we can flash back to the opera house yeah and vicious does now enter and make himself known to Faye. just after she uh, just after. takes a look at mal in that uh, it's so beautifully intercut the way there's kind of that initial cut as mal's body comes into view and of course we already know what's there but it's this thing she's just kind of slightly looking at to gather her surroundings cut back to her, cut back to, oh gosh, there's the full horror of what this actually is, as yeah. the, the music intensifies as well. And, yeah. Yes. Ah, oh, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and then Vicious uh, coming in to intimidate her even more and make her more uncomfortable. You seem to be trembling. Yes. yes. Well, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, and he, when she asks, who are you? And he is absolutely delighted with himself to be able to say his own name out loud yeah it's all been it's all been so set up to this moment one thing i like to imagine is how much trouble did they have to go to to get mao's body into this like did they smuggle it in did they do like a you know carpet re-carpeting routine or did they just walk in carrying a dead body and yeah there's dare a missing anyone scene to... there isn't there they haven't they haven't shown us the mechanics of how that dead body came to be there so i think most fans of this show would expect that Yoko Kano would primarily be a jazz musician, you know, somebody who's, that's their kind of first string to their bow. Mm. And she definitely has a deep love of jazz. But actually, the music in the opera house is kind of much more outside of this show. If you had to pick a specific thing that was the big defining thing about her music, other than just being a chameleon who can do any genre, which she definitely is. She really does a lot of big, grand 
pieces like this, mm-hmm. and particularly she'd worked previously with Shinichiro Watanabe on a film called Macross Plus, in which the music is kind of all like this Ave Maria piece. It's just like, could you get any more grand? No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's actually it's the Warsaw Philharmonic playing this piece Ooh. so that gives you another idea of how much effort they went to to get this piece of music which plays once in one episode in the whole yeah. show yeah what language do you think the Ave Maria is sung in oh I was actually one of the songs towards I think the very end I was sat trying to figure out what language it was in and I could not figure it out yeah I don't know yeah that one I didn't try specifically to figure out because <laughs> I think I was looking at what was happening in the scene more in that one. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you're going to tell me it's something weird and obscure, so I'm going to guess something weird and obscure. Um, finish. I'm afraid it was a really mean trick question. Um, it's not English. in any language at all. It's w- nonsense. Yeah, it's nonsense words. <laughs> they, they, both, they both are, actually. The, the song oh! at the end is as well. She like likes doing that. I guess she's so creative, she just wants to make her own sounds to a lot of the songs. I mean, it sounded good. Yep. Yeah, you can't. So you can't fault her there. Okay, so we're back with Spike and Jet on the bebop. Ah, yes. They're still having a bit of a fight, bless them. Yep. Yeah, still discussing the, the same thing that Spike doesn't want to tell Jed about. No, but there's quite a big change because Jet comes in yeah. and in the initial scene, he wasn't prepared to say what happened to his arm. And now he, I mean, he doesn't say exactly what happens. He leaves stuff on the table, but he does say it was the price I paid for running ahead of the game. Yes, so um, but it felt like quite a prosaic thing to say. It sounds like a a dad thing to say it's Mm. coming in with some words of warning not some words of shared pain i don't know i i definitely get the impression it's like he's private enough about it that even this level of talking about it he he says it like he's introducing a big personal revelation and i guess they've been together for goodness knows how long if he's never talked about it before Mm. Actually, I don't think anyone's ever mentioned on screen that Jet has a metal arm up to this point. Obviously, we've mentioned it because it's very visually obvious when you see it. But I just think that's interesting from a disability perspective that we have this character who has a very visually obvious disability and like he's got facial scarring as well. Mm. But that's never been like his thing. It's not the core of his character. It's not even been important enough to everything he's done over the last few episodes to merit mentioning, which I think is quite cool. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that, but but I suppose you're right. Because I guess when when you have something that is sci-fi, you know, or fantastical, and you have a character that has that sort of addition to their body, I personally don't think of those characters as having disabilities. But isn't that in itself interesting? I suppose that's this. It's sort of like this hum- superhuman addition. But I, I do I do notice in just most media that I see, if you've got a character with a disability, the disability tends to be their story and their thing. It's getting better, though. It is getting better. But, this but agreed. Wa- but this show was made like 20, yes. 22, 24 years ago. Yes. But, but I mean, do you not think that this kind of fantasy thing means that you, you overlook that faster? Not necessarily. Say in Star Trek, which is, you know, 90s star trek is on at the time when this is being made usually if you've got a character with a disability it's a big important part of their character and sometimes you get a character who will come on with a disability and the episode will be about how do we deal with the fact that this character has a disability and in anime as well there's lots of fantasy disabilities in stuff coming out now which is the driving thing that defines this character and do you not think that that sort of sounds like what this episode was for jet that we're starting down a track of, here's why I'm like this. I mean, I think that's kind of something we'd need to come back to as later yeah. episodes go on. But you, you probably do have a point there. It is the main focus of their discussions, or at least it's the thing Spike keeps getting at. Mm-hmm. At Maybe, least in this episode. Yeah. But it's not the thing that Jet's focused on. It's something that he's being forced to focus on by someone who doesn't have that problem. Yeah. Yes, so um, having uh, continued to not really talk very effectively, uh, Faye interrupts them with uh, a call and she has been captured by Vicious and his goons and is calling and asking for some help. I'm going to do a a feminist complaint of my own. Yes. So far, Faye is three for three on getting handcuffed. 
oh. in episodes in which she's appeared. <laughs> oh my goodness. I hadn't even done that, Matt. That's oh. a shame. <laughs> it is. It is. It doesn't continue. I, you'll be... Well, well I am I'm not, not, ex- not exactly... Yeah, maybe pleased is too strong a word, but <laughs> you will hear because I just said it. Uh, <laughs> Yes, she clearly considers herself part of the crew now and entitled to be rescued yes, when she gets and, into trouble. And Jet is not really having any of it. No. He is very quick to try and sign off the phone call and, and tell her it, you know, it's her own fault. And it's only because Spike stops him from, from ending the call. Yeah. He, he considers himself Spike's space dad, but he clearly does not yet consider himself Faye's space dad. Yeah. Or even Faye's space friend. Not really. Which, uh, <laughs> unlike Jet, I expected better from Jet. I don't know. I mean, you know how later in the episode he's going to get a call from Faye that Spike my favorite is in trouble bit of the whole episode. And hang it up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I wonder whether if he had hung up on Faye in that moment, he would have like two minutes later called her back and gone, "All right, what do you need?" Mm, yeah. Um, but we, fair enough. We'll never know because Spike. <laughs> Spike cuts him off. He's um, not a perfect space dad. No, who, who no. is? But and Spike is also pretending he's not going there to save her. And well, he—I don't think that's the only reason he's going. But go, he does. He does, yes. And then we have quite a dramatic shift visually and with the music and everything. Mm. And this was a moment that really got my attention. I really noticed lots of the foreshadowing we've seen before starting to come into play in terms of that opening credits scene, the way they had that monochromatic, what is blue in the ending credits. I think I said opening credits a second ago. Uh, ending credits, um, which is now this purple initially yeah. when, when we go to see Spike walking up the street and the music that, yeah, this really beautifully put together piece. This is definitely my favourite bit of music. It really got my attention. That I've heard so far. I loved the way it was using the organ music and then bringing in this electric guitar in a way that was so beautifully combined mm. so as not to make one or the other jar, even though they are such thematically different instruments. Mm. Um, yes. But they came together really, really nicely. And then you've got the ethereal singing over the top as well that's my yamane whose voice we have heard before she also sings the real folk blues right and i want it back which is one of the the a song from one of the chase sequences yeah she's really good at singing to very different emotions mm. even within this one song it did feel like you were really being told to pay attention but in a very uh, creative way that told you to pay attention without shouting at you if that makes sense no yeah i I get entirely what you mean yeah and there's no dialogue for such a long time Mm. as spike walks in you're just given this sumptuous music and visuals and like you were saying at the beginning of the episode so many shots that you really don't need in order to tell the story yeah i don't think most shows would as spike is walking up the steps to the cathedral for an animated show to bother to draw an entire city behind him yes for two for like two seconds of footage yes it i did think that was yeah really well done and then you've got the exterior of the the cathedral which looks very similar to notre dame in the kind of shape of it and that glorious window which we see again in a you know in a few moments time from within the cathedral that is probably my favorite shot from this episode as well um of the light coming through the stained glass and you get a couple of other shots of the stained glass as he's walking into the building and pictures of the statues and all of this stuff yeah it's really really deliberately creating a feeling of place and emotion and yeah areas of light and shade used very carefully and specifically Yes. yes and of course we need the light and shade so that vicious can enter dramatically again for a third time yes (laughs) Why just, you know, stroll into a church when you could step out of the shadows announcing yourself a bird descending onto your shoulder? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, With a very Paradise Lost uh, kind of statement. Yes. As his, yes, his raven comes to land on his shoulder and saying how any angel who falls from heaven becomes a dove. 
as Spike is making his entrance and kind of striding in defiantly and then Vicious is coming out of the shadows, you get the organ switching over to like this guitar solo mm. and stuff. So kind of the more posing and declarative they get, like devils are angels that have fallen from heaven, it, the music kind of gets more and more posing until it then calms down as you've got Spike and Vicious actually talking about the substance of their argument, which is Vicious's killing of Mao and yeah. the fact that Spike left their actual grievances, the organ starts being played very softly. You get the same chords as you've heard before, but very, very softly. And the voice, again, is when the song starts, the opening words are, I don't feel a thing. And by the end, she, she's singing, why do I feel so alone? Uh. Uh, yeah, because yeah, some of the lyrics are about being in the rain and things as well, aren't they? Yes. Which is, again, reminding us of the closing credits. Yes, yeah, because that all takes place in the... in the re- Yeah, and the, um, yeah, the flashbacks take yeah. place. It's a rainy day. Yeah. Yes, even though there is no rain in the, in the present day scene. Mm. There's rain in our minds. There's rain in our minds and in ourselves. Yeah, I, it, is, it is over the top, but... <laughs> How can you complain when it's so well done? Oh, I would not be complaining. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. (laughs) Excellent. Do you remember I mentioned that they would construct scenes around the music? Mm -hmm. This is like they had planned that this scene would be in there, but there was a lot more dialogue and they just cut back loads and loads of the dialogue so they could showcase the music more. Yeah. And I'm guessing as well, perhaps inserting those establishing shots of the interior. Yeah. That might not have been there otherwise. Yeah, gives you time for the music to have something to play over. Yeah. It's also like, it's quite a roomy recording, the music. You can hear the echo of the organ. It sounds like it might actually be being played in a church. Ooh. That's something Yoko Kano does quite a lot. So say with Tank, they're all in a room together playing the song together. And Mm. yeah, she likes having that setup of all the performers performing together rather than, you know, Yeah, session musicians that just do their bit and leave. Yeah, so after that moment of quiet, we have some moments of very, very, very loud. Yes, yes, uh, yes. Faye appears kidnapped at gunpoint. And yes, Spike, in a very macho way, refuses to take the threat of putting his own gun down and just shoots him in the head regardless. Not Vicious, the goon who's, who's holding Faye. I mean, that is probably the only way she lives to the end of this. That's true. I love that moment because it shows us a side of Spike we've never really seen before, I think, that he's, just before he takes the shot, you get this long focus on his eyes and you can see he's not even paying attention to what this goon is saying or anything else about him. He's just going into this kind of dead calm mode that he needs to make this very difficult shot because, you know, he's shooting with a pistol from quite far away into somebody he who is standing in shadow and therefore can't be seen very well. Oh, that's interesting, because I remember looking at that shot and and that little crooked smile he has all the time, Mm. to me, made the most sense in that moment because it was that knowingness Mm. that whatever this guy says right now, you know, I agree that that it doesn't matter, that he knows the best way to deal with this Mm. and it's not to pay attention to this guy. But to me, it wasn't about ignoring him it was about and and finding that calm zone that you're explaining, but more just that he was yes steadying himself to take a shot, but knowing that he's got this, he's he's handling it, and he's excited to do that. Oh, okay, yeah, that's in, there's, there is definitely a level of of pleasure that he takes in these things, and because you're getting this comparison between him and Vicious in this episode, mm. that's bringing it out even more that Spike enjoys this violence to a certain extent. I'm not sure those two things are mutually exclusive, though, that there can be kind of dead calm and intense enjoyment at the same time. Yes, I think that that's probably true. The the zone you want to be in when you're doing something you're really, really good at. Yeah, like a flow state. Yeah. Mm. And then some shooting. Kaboom, bang, clang. Yeah, lots of bullets, lots of bashing and crashing. In which Faye manages to run outside. Yeah. And we get a quick moment of Jet Black Space Dad, which is definitely my favourite moment Mm. of the episode, just for the comedic value, where Jet is sat pruning his lovely bonsai trees and gets a phone call 
from Faye. He picks up the phone and Faye, very panicked and saying, Jet, oh my God, it's Spike. Uh, to which Jet hangs up angrily. And then he sits and stares at his bonsai trees for a full five seconds. Damn it! And then he has to go. <laughs> and it was just, I loved that. It was, it was just pinnacle space dad for yep. me. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah. As much as I love everything that goes on in the cathedral, probably the scene, the scenes of Jet. It really steals focus. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> um, you do get the sense, though, that whoever's putting this together lacks impulse control and lacks the ability to sort of prioritise the flow of the emotions of the thing in favour of like, nah, that's a good bit, let's keep it. Yeah, you've, pro- you've probably like there's got there's a, point. a playfulness there that you know that, that it doesn't bug me. It just kind of adds to the whole feel of the show. No, there's... there's someone working. Well, prob- you know, a whole team of people working on this. Going, nah, we can't get rid of that. Yeah, no, that's I. I think you've tapped into something very, very accurate there because a lot of this episode is kind of a love letter to gangster movies and film noir with all the interplay of light and shade and somebody stepping out of a shadow Mm. for a gangster film. That's kind of a classic film noir trope. Um, And the shootout in the cathedral is is a big John Woo thing. And Shinichiro Watanabe, who made this film, is a huge fan of But no white doves flying out from somewhere, though. I feel like that's, that's required. Don't worry. Oh, okay. <laughs> <Don't>, <laughs> that's not a plot spoiler, but that's going to happen. But yeah, the, there's there's two of John Woo's movies which end in a gigantic shootout in a church. Yeah. Um, this, I guess, there is some restraint shown because in the John Woo movies, those shootouts are like 20 minutes long, <laughs> whereas this one doesn't overstay its Who welcome. Who directed Face Off? Yeah, that's John is Woo. Is that John Woo? Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, that's one of the ones. <laughs> Um, that's an insane movie that's fantastic because uh, it's just ridiculous throughout yeah, yeah. Um, nothing about that movie makes any sense no and it kind of takes itself really seriously and yet not seriously at all yeah, exactly it's perfect anyway <laughs> that, that's a different podcast but yes but when we get to the apex of the fight s- sequence yeah. it's that we have Vicious and Spike at equal footing for a moment as they have equal opportunity to kill each other instantly. Vicious getting one last grand entrance in as he yes. steps out of the shadow with his bird's eyes glowing to launch his, <laughs> his sword attack. It's on important to make room for a dramatic entrance whenever you can. Yeah, yeah you never know. Never yeah. know when it might be your last. Yeah, and of um, course, with his. Uh, well, I thought it was a sword, not a scythe, but you're telling me it's a scythe. No, no, no. In this oh, scene, it's, it's, it in, it is a sword by now. Yeah, he um, has a katana and he has a scythe. I'm not sure why. <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, um, regardless of, of how he ended up with it, he has the sword point um, going into Spike's shoulder, you know, just above his heart. And as he's doing that, Spike manages to get his gun pointing in exactly the same spot on Vicious. And they are at a stalemate momentarily to have an exchange of dramatic words. In the most dramatic light possible. Oh, yeah. You got the lovely, gorgeous cinematic shot of the Notre Dame-like stained window behind them. And they're silhouetted against it with the, the light coming through. Uh, yes, it's, it's a beautiful shot. It will probably not surprise you to learn that that's the single most famous shot in the whole show. Right, yeah. Uh, it's just, it's people people love that shot. I'm for good reason. It just, I mean, yeah. Narratively, is there anything there? Who knows? But who cares? It's just so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember I mentioned that they cut a lot of the dialogue for this scene to get the music in? Yes. I think that's a good thing. The dialogue in this scene is not very good. No. Um, <laughs> it's Yeah, it's quite cliche, enemy versus enemy. But yes, then there's, of course, a shot to the shoulder, a stab to the shoulder. Yep. And... Defenestrate! Yep. <laughs> Defenestrate. So I just want to take a moment to appreciate how immensely strong Vicious's grit must be. Yes, of his face. <laughs> yeah, See, yeah, manages to. I, I mean, I'm trying. I have pretty big hands. I'm trying to get my hand <laughs> all the way around my face, and I, I can't even get close. Um, and Vicious not only manages to get his fingers all the way around Spike's face, he then manages to grip him hard enough to pick him up. 
and then generate enough force to throw him through what you have to assume from the construction of it must be an extremely strong stained glass window to be able to support its own weight. <laughs> yes, you're not wrong. <laughs> the rule of cool. Yeah, exactly. And it Vicious operates on nothing except the rule of cool. <laughs> I um I harp yeah. oh, I mean we're harking I'm harking back to something right near the very beginning. But you know the moment when you have that shot of Vicious doing that smile as Mao is, is saying that final line in the background about that um, you wouldn't do this if Spike were here or whatever, something like that. And the way Spike smiles, not Spike, Vicious smiles at that moment to me was just like him thinking to himself, yes, you're creating more drama for my scene. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this is exactly what I wanted. <laughs> like yeah. everything anyone does, you know, like... um. Faye turning up at the opera house the way she does in her beautiful outfit and everything and, you know, being shocked by his presence. It's all just like, yes, yes, dance, puppets, dance. <laughs> I am creating a theatre of pain. <laughs> you know what he should do? He should manage weddings. <laughs> he, he should manage, like, like goth weddings or something, but uh, something somewhere where oh, you're just constantly trying to create the perfect staged moment of dramatic impact. He'd be great at that. <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> as Spike goes through the window, I want to kind of ask you what you think is going on in that next scene. Yeah. Um, yes, there's a few things happening. We're getting a lot of flashbacks in between moments of what's happening in the present. So trying to discern exactly what's what is a bit tricky. And I did have to wait until the very end to actually figure out what was what. Mm. Um, yeah, so you have the shots that we've seen in that uh, closing credits moment. So you have the rose landing in the puddle and and the colour starts coming back into some of the images and they repeat over and over and they're coming in and out of focus. And then you start seeing this woman who's ostensibly quite yellow. So she stands out visually from the other moments that are all quite blue or hazy. Yeah, and, and he's falling all the while that we're flashing really rapidly between all of these things. And yeah, the glass shards and everything as he's flying down. And I guess I was trying to figure out, it, it was showing us who he was before. There were those moments when you're seeing him with Vicious smiling together mm. as a unit, taking part in some sort of killing, I think. There was definitely some shooting involved in, in those moments where he's smiling in the past. Yeah, and then I don't know how the older version of him ended up collapsing outside where this woman in yellow comes and, and helps him. I don't know how he got to that moment. Mm -hmm. What we know after that is that he's back on the bebop where he's all bandaged up in the present. So I don't know what led to his injuries of the past. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's where I'm lost. Um, okay. This woman is clearly very important. Um, and you, oh, and there was also a moment of, an, I don't know if it was the same woman or not, but she definitely had blonde hair as well in like a catsuit looking thing. Yeah, it, it is the same it woman. It is the same yes. woman. Yeah, and she looks much more like a criminal, I guess, which she doesn't look when we first see her in what looks like quite a homely outfit. I think so, I watched it that scene three times because <laughs> I yeah. knew the first time I was like, I'm going to have to go back and watch that again. <laughs> Yeah, I, I wasn't expecting you to have a complete narrative at this point. Well, no, um, but it's certainly given me a reason to want to find out, mm. which I think is probably the first time I've watched an episode and gone, I really want to know what happens next. Yeah. That's the first time that's happened. But I mean, largely because a lot of the episodes up until this point have been quite contained mm. and haven't shown us much about the history of the characters, although we've had little inklings of it. Yeah. Whereas this was very much talking about who he used to be and trying to find out that void of time between then and now how that came to be and obviously vicious is a very complex character in his past and mal was some sort of fatherly figure is what's implied by the, the dialogue in this episode to yeah. both of them so yeah they were brothers of a kind and they do set and there's a moment where they're in that stalemate with you know sword and gun that they say that the same blood runs through their veins but i'm guessing yeah. that was more of a metaphorical blood 
based on you know that this kind of beast-like enjoyment of the violence. Yeah, so there was a lot more that started coming through that made everything more interesting. I'm really glad to hear your hook to find out what happens now, because I mentioned to you after we'd recorded the first episode, I kind of asked you, you know, did you, did you enjoy it enough to want to carry on? You kind of you weren't too sure, mm. and I told you this really isn't the point at which people tend to get religion on the show yes this is the point at which people get religion on the yes, show. yes yes i did um <laughs> intuit that from the little snippets i heard of conversation oh okay oh, I oh, but, oh, like away. i literally <laughs> barely anything you know it was just like the peripheral hearing if that's a thing yeah that yes that um perhaps this was an episode that would start some things off and also because a friend started explaining a little bit about this episode before i'd watched it about uh, a few days ago uh, and i was right, like stop okay. talking about it stop talking about it oh yeah that's good um but but he i mean i had very little coming into this but i did have the notion that this was going to be an important one yeah okay yes it's well yeah i guess i guess you kind of you would get that notion kind of immediately from as soon as he scene. was walking up the hill in purple monochrome that was the moment that i was like yep i mean the whole episode has a lot of other things going mm. on but that moment was the was when i was like oh okay what's happening now yeah yeah and absolutely. i am glad that you got me to pay attention to the closing credits when oh, we did okay, that episode yeah. of, you know a few episodes back that i think helped prepare me for this episode a lot yeah, I guess, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of overlap there between what's in the closing credits and what's here. And yeah, you can mm. kind of start to piece together yeah. bits of the narrative of Spike's past from now on, really, rather than just having flashes with nothing to connect them. Yes. That merging of past and present, I think, is perfectly captured in the music mm-hmm. as it's falling. Because, you know, it's this very seemingly simple piece. But so for one thing, it's a round, which is a form of music in which you've got past and present merging because you've got the previous line going over the top of the line that's currently being sung also just within the little that goes under most of the piece every other note in that is the same so you keep going up and back and down and back and up and back and down and back is that stabilizing well it's kind of an unnerving reminder because you're being constantly reminded that you're going back and forth on a moment, but that the overriding feeling is the same throughout, or there's this yeah. kind of eerie sense that this moment never ended. Yes, exactly. That's again, you've put it far better than I than I could have done. Um, <laughs> it took me it took me a minute, but I got there. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, and you've got the visual reminders of that with you know the paper that. Yellow Lady is dropping, being uh, reminiscent of the falling glass and the the shots of the cross in both the past and the yeah. present. Yeah, but then when we actually go to meet this lady in yellow, as we're terming her at the moment, mm. she seems very at odds with most of the characters we've met in this show. How do you mean? Well, when Spike collapses on the the pavement mm. and then wakes up in this room bandaged up with uh, a collection of plasters on his face, which I found quite comical. Yeah. Just, you know, oh, this is what I had in the first aid box. We'll just slap it all on there and hope it covers up all the scratches. Um, <laughs> You're basically nothing but scratches at this point. Yeah. I'd better use all the bandages. Um, yeah, and, and that she's humming sat there and then Spike says, sing like that to me. Yeah. And her domestic... That's a word, you know, I use that word already. And and it does feel like she's a very kind of traditional female presence. And it doesn't feel like an anime character. It doesn't feel like a fantasy character. It's much more simple and recognizable as a as a human. And almost maternal. Yes, definitely. That sense of stability and yeah, very calm. Yeah. 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 Um, which then snaps to the present day which you only realize as it happens that you were in the past i think Mm. um that he is now on the bebop and he's bandaged up to fuck quite frankly who bandages over someone's mouth uh that was a weird choice it was a weird choice (laughs) 
maybe it's because then they didn't have to draw his mouth moving and they'd done so much else that they had to <laughs> meticulously animate on this show. They were like, let's just give ourselves a break. <laughs> yeah, and but, sees fit to taunt Faye briefly. Yeah. I find that transition so interesting that there's... I can't tell whether the two hums that they do are the same recording. I listened to it a few times trying to figure that out. But they're definitely similar enough that I can't tell. Mm-hmm. And yet one of them appears to be kind of, you know, all he wants, and the other one he just rejects out of hand. But when he rejects Faye's version mm. of, of the humming, it felt just like demonstrative of this brother-sister feeling. Oh, yeah. Of just, I'm going to say something to irritate you because that will make me feel a bit more normal. And also that pushing away the sensitivity, the the comfort that he found with this other woman in the past, that being reminded of that is painful for some reason. Yes, that definitely makes sense. My reading on it is it's him explicitly rejecting the present in favour of the past. He's he's given an option in that moment mm-hmm. of, you know, I'm given these two very similar setups. I could choose the present instead of focusing on the past as this perfect sepia light bathe mm. thing and no i'm no matter how similar the present might be to the past the past is for me yeah i think that's probably right as well it's nice when we have different opinions but don't have to argue about them <laughs> yeah and then we get the final sting of music just the little do 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 which is it's very much like Spike's making a joke and the music is kind of making a joke as yes, well. Yes, yes. And then Faye does a proper anime character angry walk across the street. Yeah. <laughs> Just as we're, yes. Oh, and yeah, and Jet pokes his head around the corner and does his little check-in and he's glad that things are back to normal-ish. Yeah. And it's almost like the show is kind of trying to convince us oh, nothing serious really happened here. We're back to normal life. There's no no permanent changes or fallout that's uh-huh. going to happen. And Spike is trying to convince us of that too and doesn't like the fact that his life and past has been looked into. But we don't believe it for a second. Not really, no. So I guess that takes us on to rankings. So, Right. Where did, where did I rank everything in the past? Okay, so current ranking for me has Stray Dog Strut at number one, and then Asteroid Blues, then Gateway Shuffle, and then Honky Tonk Women in fourth position currently. Um, I think I will definitely be putting this episode at the top. Yep. I, again, I don't think there's, there's much debate here. <laughs> it's an all-time classic, definitely tops everything we've seen so far. Yeah, there was so much more that I found intriguing and exciting about this episode, whether or not it's because I've also got a bit more of a appreciation for it now as well, that there were certain things that just were standing out more, all those cinematic moments and the music were standing out so much more in general. Mm. But in particular, this episode just brought it all together in a way that I found really enticing. Um, and obviously the story is much more intense and it's bringing more of the strands in and there's more happening overall. Yeah, yeah, there's... It's just, it's just such a stuffed episode. There's yeah. so much to sink your teeth into. A question I had for you is, I've heard a theory in screenwriting that you should write an episode zero, which explains how all the characters meet and how they know each other. Okay. And then you should throw that away and write episode one, but knowing everything that happened in episode zero. Oh, okay. I haven't heard of that. Makes sense, though. Yeah, yeah. So I was wondering, the first four episodes are basically covering how the gang got together. Do you think this would have been a better first episode? than having the four episodes that came before? Hmm, good question. I think I definitely would have invested more quickly if it came earlier. Do I think it would be better as the very first episode? I think I would still need a bit more grounding before I went into this episode in order to really be engaged fully as as I was watching it now. Because I do think having seen... Yeah, what I've seen already, I was more interested to learn about Spike and his past. But if I had gone straight in with this one, I think the high drama of the episode would have overridden 
the narrative exploration. Yeah. Yeah. I think you've you've convinced me actually because that's something I've always wondered, and I think you're whether or not it would be more likely to grab people. Yeah, it probably would, but because up until this point, I think you don't really know the characters very well at all. Like you get a sense of what they present as on the surface, but you don't really know anything about them or what makes them tick underneath it. And seeing how much veneer they have, you get much more of a sense of who they are as it's kind of peeled away a bit in this episode. And I do think that some of the characters would be underplayed if this was the first episode. Spike gets a whole lot of interesting stuff going on. Faye becomes quite boring in this episode. The Uh way that Faye is introduced to us earlier makes her character far more interesting. Yes, that's that's true. It's definitely much more true of Jet and Spike in this episode, but obviously particularly Spike. Yeah, Jet gets some interesting moments in the, his relationship with Spike in this one as well. But it's a Spike-heavy episode. Yeah, it's it's his focus yeah. episode. Yeah, and he is the protagonist overall, so that's not an unreasonable thing to have in the episodes. But even so, yeah, I think that it's it's not doing enough for the other characters for it if it was the first episode. No, yeah, that's probably true as well. You'd you'd feel like this was a show about Spike with some peripherals. Mm. And it's not. We will get Jet episodes and yes. Faye episodes down the line. I'm looking forward to a Jet episode. Nothing left to do except the preview, I think. Yeah. So from my viewing of it, it feels a bit like a return to the earlier approach to an episode it looks more like there's going to be a quest that they need to go on to fix something find someone get a bounty quest of the week yeah yeah Yeah. i guess this last episode you were never under any illusion they were going to catch the bounty because he dies before (laughs) you even know he's a bounty with the whole lids thing even though there's no lids on the episode i i do almost get the sense that jet and spike are watching that trailer with us and have no idea what's going on they're just (laughs) making stuff up yeah, yeah. What on earth are they talking about? Like, putting lids on things. When you put lids on things, there's going to be so many lids on this planet, they don't know what to do with them. Ah, <laughs> uh, I don't know. But and maybe then something once... about it being smelly in the end. <laughs> maybe once we lift up all the lids, we'll find out. Maybe we will. All right. There is nothing left to say except see you, Space Cathedral Wreckers. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at realfolkreviews at gmail.com, look up our Facebook page, or find us on Reddit at u slash therealfolkreviews. Thanks for listening.